Hello, everyone. Paul wrote the epistle of 1 Corinthians around the time of the Passover, evidently. Certainly there is material in it that is directly related to the Passover and to the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The Passover was kept by the Church of God, that is, the Church Jesus founded and the Church of the Apostles that he trained and commissioned to take the gospel to the world throughout the apostolic period of the first century and beyond. That church did not keep Easter, which is named after a pagan goddess and is an apostasy that developed in the second century and later. Easter is a blending of idolatrous customs with the name of Christ and misused portions of scripture. The example and command of Christ and the apostles is to keep Passover using the symbols of unleavened bread and wine. In chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, Paul gives instructions for the observance of the Passover. In discussing the Passover, Paul states in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 29, 1 Corinthians 11, 29, for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. In today's sermon, I want to discuss the significance of discerning the Lord's body in connection with the Passover. For those who have become converted and begun to keep the Passover, I have a question. Do you fully understand what it means to partake of the Passover in an unworthy manner? failing to discern the Lord's body. How can we make sure we are not eating and drinking judgment to ourselves? Paul explains that the Corinthians were making a sort of banquet party out of the Passover. Overlooked in their concern for eating and drinking was the real meaning of the Passover symbols of the unleavened bread and wine. They were not discerning in them the Lord's body. They were not comprehending the spiritual significance of what God had done and is doing through Jesus Christ and his church. In the Passover supper of the Old Covenant, a full meal was consumed. It was a sacrificial festal meal consisting of meat from the Passover lambs that had been slain, often along with the meat of peace offerings of ruminant cattle as well as unleavened bread, and bitter herbs and wine, as you can read in Exodus 12, verse 8, 2 Chronicles 35, verses 10 through 13, and other scriptures. However, during the era of the Second Temple, the sacrifices under the Old Covenant, including the animal sacrifices associated with the Passover, could be lawfully slain only in the Temple and could be consumed only within Jerusalem. Most of the converts in the church in Corinth were of Gentile background. Among the pagan Greeks and Romans in the first century, sacrificial meals in honor of their gods were a common and everyday occurrence. You can read that in various uh, sources, including an article we have entitled, May Christians Eat Food Offered to Idols, which you can obtain from cogmessenger.org. 
The Passover observance was apparently being treated in a similar manner to the typical heathen idolatrous sacrifices within the Corinthian church at the same at, at the time that Paul wrote to them. And so Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11, beginning with verse 20. Verse 20 of 1 Corinthians 11, Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper, for in eating each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. Now the Passover here is referred to as the Lord's Supper, as it was taken at night and was one of God's festivals, as you can read in Leviticus 23, verses 4 through 6. The newly converted members of the Corinthian church were misguided in how they were approaching observance of the Passover. The Abbot's Illustrated New Testament comments on 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 21 as follows. The temptation to such a sin was probably greatly increased among these converts by the idolatrous revelings which prevailed around them and to which they themselves perhaps had been accustomed. End of quote. Paul thus rebukes them for their behavior. We see in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 22, 1 Corinthians 11 verse 22, What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. End quote. And so then Paul gives instructions for properly observing the New Testament Passover, beginning with verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 11. Verse 23, he said, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. The word discerning in verse 29 is from diacrino and in this context the meaning is discerning or thoroughly comprehending do we thoroughly comprehend in the passover symbols the body of jesus christ the concept of discerning the lord's body is multifaceted and has very deep spiritual implications Let's explore some of the deep spiritual implications of discerning the Lord's body. Jesus, when he was teaching a group of people in Capernaum, 
said, as we read in John 6, beginning with verse 33, John 6 and verse 33, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. They had seen Christ physically, even witnessed him working miracles, but did not discern him as being the Messiah, as being God in the flesh, the author of life. Jesus said in John 6 and verse 40, John 6 verse 40, This is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. What did Jesus mean when he said everyone who sees the Son, meaning himself, what does it mean to see Christ in the sense that he meant it in this context? The Greek word translated see here is the oreo. And one meaning of this word is to be a spectator. Among its related meanings is to discern, perceive, acknowledge, and to experience. To see Christ in the sense meant here is not merely to observe as an indifferent spectator, but to see with understanding and become actively involved with him. It implies an active, ongoing relationship. The word believe in John 6 verse 40 is from the Greek pistuo, pistuo, to have faith, and it is in in this context, it implies absolute trust, surrender to the will of Christ, obedience. Seeing Christ in this sense, believing in Christ implies becoming so involved with Christ that you become like him. You become of one mind with him. Jesus went on to explain, beginning with verse 47 of John 6, John 6 verse 47, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, 
so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. So we're told that many of Jesus' disciples left him at that time because they did not believe. They didn't really comprehend what he was saying and they did not believe in him. The word for believe in verse 64 in this passage of scripture is again pistuo and it is in the present active indicative in the Greek implying a continuing faith or belief. A continuing faith, not a shallow fleeting faith, but this implies in the Greek a continuing and uh, lasting faith. And, of course, in the context, it implies a very deep faith. In verse 67, beginning verse 67 of the same chapter, John 6, Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So notice that they, that Peter said they had come to believe and know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. They were firm in that belief, that faith. And notice that they, that is the twelve in this case, believed in his person, but not just in his person, they believed in his words. But as the context shows in the next couple of verses, Jesus knew that one of them also would betray him. Now, of course, when Jesus said, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood, he was speaking allegorically, or by metaphor, he was not speaking literally of eating of his flesh and drinking of his blood. He was speaking figuratively of partaking of his life through intimate spiritual communion with him. When we partake of the Passover, we are enacting a symbolic sharing of his life, of his sacrifice, and of the oneness or communion we are to have with him spiritually. We do not literally feed on Christ's flesh, but we are to be feeding on his words. John 6, verse 63 says it is the spirit that gives life. The flesh does not profit nothing. The words which I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. That's from Green's literal translation. The word of God is the spiritual food which coupled with his spirit gives us life. That is eternal life. It is through his word and spirit that God places his life and his nature in us 
It is through his word and spirit that we are to commune with God, that we are able to commune with God and become one with him. That's why it's so very important that we commune with God daily through studying and meditating on his word and spending time in prayer with God. John 14, beginning in verse 23, John 14, verse 23, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. We are not truly or fully discerning Christ unless we are becoming like him unless he is living in us. If we are striving to obey God, as Jesus said, he will place his spirit in us. He and the Father will dwell in us, as he said in John 14, verse 15, John 14, verse 15, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever referring to the Holy Spirit. As, as this and other scriptures clearly reveal, God gives his spirit to those who obey him, who keep his word, who obey his commandments. We read also in John, or excuse me, in Acts 5 verse 32, it speaks of the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him, as it is in the New King James, the word has given in the King James and New King James versions. In this verse, the word is didomi, the Greek word, is in the arrowist tense and would be better translated gives, as in the concordant version. And the word translated whom in the King James version and New King James in that verse should be translated which, as in the concordant version as well. The concordant version reads, The Holy Spirit which God gives to those yielding to him. John wrote that we know that we are in Christ if we are living according to his word, if we are keeping his commandments. 1 John 2, beginning with verse 3, 1 John 2 and verse 3, now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought, ought himself also to walk just as he walked. The world at large neither sees nor knows Jesus Christ because the world is hostile to his word. The world is not living according to his word or his commandments, which are essentially one and the same. Hence, the world is in darkness. John, or excuse me, 1 John 1 and verse 1 we read, that which was from the beginning, this is 1 John 1, beginning verse 1, that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen 
with our eyes, which we have looked upon. Now, John here was speaking as one of the apostles who had been with Jesus for quite some time, seen him work for miracles and were taught by him and so forth. He says, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Because the world is in spiritual darkness rather than the light, neither seeing nor knowing Jesus Christ, unable to recognize who and what Christ is. The world is sick, both physically and spiritually. Through sin, it is through sin that the world is sick and in need of healing. And the scriptures tell us what the problem is. In Jeremiah 8, beginning in verse 6, Jeremiah 8, verse, excuse me, beginning verse 5, Jeremiah 8, verse 5. Why has this people slidden back, Jerusalem, in a perpetual backsliding? They hold fast to deceit. They refuse to return. I listened and heard, but they do not speak aright. No man repented of his wickedness, saying, What have I done? Everyone turned to his own course as the horse rushes into the battle. Now Jerusalem in the prophets is often used as a reference to the entire nation. And it was not just Jerusalem, it was the whole people of Israel, which ultimately includes not just the Jewish people, but others of Israel's descent including many in Britain and America and some other related nations that it is speaking of here. And when he says that no one has repented of his wickedness, he is using hyperbole. It doesn't mean that absolutely no one, but relatively few, virtually no one in the world, except for a very small number, relatively speaking, have actually fully repented and truly are seeking God. Truly yielding to God's word, being willing to obey. In Jeremiah 8, again, going on to verse 15, we read, we looked for peace, but no good came. And for a time of health, 
but there was trouble. And then in verse 20, verse 20, it says, The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. For the hurt of the daughter of my people, I am hurt. I am mourning. Astonishment has taken hold of me. There is no balm in Gilead. Or, excuse me, is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is there no recovery for the health of the daughter of my people? The sick are in need of healing. Not just the people of modern Judah and Israel, but the whole world is sick through sin. And the physician who can heal the world's sickness is Jesus Christ. He alone can heal its spiritual sicknesses, which are the most destructive and serious, as well as the physical ones. Matthew 9 and verse 9 tells us, Matthew 9 and verse 9, that Jesus saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house, that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now they were all sinners, but many did not see themselves as sinners, and that was perhaps their number one problem. They would not repent because they saw no need for repentance. And in the same manner today, how many, how many in the world today See, no need for repentance. But they were all sinners. All mankind, every one of us is a sinner. Job said in Job 9 and verse 2, Job 9 and verse 2, How can a man be righteous before God? Job's friend Eliphaz said in Job 15 verse 14, Job 15, verse 14, What is man that he could be pure? And he who is born of a woman that he could be righteous. A psalmist wrote in Psalm 130, verse 3, Psalm 130, verse 3, If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? In Psalm 14, Verse 3, Psalm 14 is believed to have been written by David. In verse 3 it said, Do not enter into judgment with your servant, for in your sight no one living is righteous. In this prayer to God. In your sight no one living is righteous. Jeremiah wrote, Jeremiah 17, verse 9, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Paul wrote in Romans 3 and verse 19. Romans 3 and verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped 
and all the world may become guilty before God. He also wrote in Romans 5 verse 8, Romans 5 verse 8, and God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then in Romans 5 and verse 12, Romans 5 and verse 12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sin. And also in Romans 8 and verse 7, Romans 8 verse 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, what is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 1 and verse 3, The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know, my people does not consider Alas, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers, children who are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away backward. Why should you be stricken again? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faints. From the sole of the foot, even to the head there is no soundness in it but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores they have not been closed or bound up or soothed with ointment oxen have more discernment physically than the physical descendants of Israel have spiritually the sickness of the peoples of Israel descent and of the rest of the world is a result of the failure to discern Christ, who he is, what he is, where he is. When we fail to discern Christ, the result is spiritual sickness, and maybe in some cases physical sickness, although not all physical sickness is necessarily a result of failure to, to discern Christ, but much of it is ultimately. What is the solution then to this condition of spiritual blindness and sickness? The solution is repentance. Isaiah 1, beginning at verse 16. Isaiah 1 and verse 16. We're told, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. This is what repentance is. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. 
In verse 16, the word for together, as we read where it says, let us reason together, the word for together is not in the original Hebrew. The word given there for reason, yakak, or excuse me, yakak, which is translated reason, means to be, to, to make right or correct, to be in front or the forepart, figuratively to be in the sunshine, to be clear or manifest. So what God is saying then is not let's make a deal. Let it, he's not saying let's, let's uh, compromise and I'll give a little and you compromise a little and we'll reach an understanding. What he's saying is get your mind right. Start thinking clearly. Understand, comprehend the truth. Discern and obey my will. And I will cleanse and I will heal you spiritually. Isaiah 1 verse 18. In the New English translation. Renders it this way. Come, let's consider your options, says the Lord. Though your sins have stained you like the color red, though you can become white like snow. Though they are as easy to see as the color scarlet, you can become white like wool. And the way in which that can be done is through repentance. Coming to see Christ through communion with him in repentance and faith. Jeremiah wrote to Jeremiah 30 in verse 12. Jeremiah 30 beginning in verse 12. For thus says the Lord, your affliction is incurable. Your wound is severe. There is no one to plead your cause that you may be bound up. You have no healing medicines. The cause of this affliction is sin. God allows evil to overwhelm the nations and sends punishment upon them because of iniquity. In verse 15 of Jeremiah 30, verse 15, Why do you cry about your affliction? Your sorrow is incurable because of the multitude of your iniquities, because your sins have increased. I have done these things to you. Yet God promises healing and restoration for Israel and eventually for all of mankind. Jeremiah 30 and verse 17. God goes on to say, verse 17, Jeremiah 30, I will restore health to you and heal you of your wounds, says the Lord, because they called you an outcast, saying this is Zion, no one seeks her. So, fortunately for mankind, God is planning to intervene to save us. Christ has already intervened through giving his life as a sacrifice, but the same Jesus Christ is going to intervene to bring healing 
and restoration to the earth. And we see in beginning verse 18 of Jeremiah 30 what that means, what the results will be. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring back the captivity of Jacob's tents. Yes, the peoples of Israel descent are going to be sent into captivity. The Bible speaks of a great tribulation and a captivity for our nations if we do not repent. But he says, I will bring back the captivity of Jacob's tents and have mercy on his dwelling places. The city shall be built upon its own mound and the palace shall remain according to its own plan. Then out of them shall proceed thanksgiving and the voice of those who make merry. I will multiply them and they shall not diminish. I will glorify them and they shall not be small. Their children also shall be as before and their congregation shall be established before me and I will punish all who oppress them. Their nobles shall be from among them, and their governor shall come from their midst. Then I will cause them to draw near, and he shall approach me. For who is this who pledged his heart to approach me, says the Lord? You shall be my people, and I will be your God. But how is this going to come about? We read in Jeremiah 31, beginning with verse 31. Jeremiah 31, verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it in their, on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. Healing will come about when the law of God is in the hearts of the people. They will know, they will see, they will discern and understand the eternal Jesus Christ because his law, his mind, will be in their minds. For us to be vital, alive, spiritually whole requires God's law being bound up in our minds. God's law is not a curse, as many supposed ministers of Jesus Christ teach falsely. Rather, the law of God defines love. It leads the way to happiness for all humanity. It shows us how to relate to God and how to relate to one another, how to treat one another, how to live with one another in peace and tranquility. It shows us how to think about one another, what kind of thoughts we should have toward one another. It defines the way that strengthens and purifies us in our relationships and makes them permanent and unbreakable. The law of God is the way of give. In 1 John 5 and verse 2, 1 John 5 and verse 2, it says, By this we know that we love the children of God 
when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Romans 13, Romans 13, verse 8, beginning with verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law, or better, fulfills the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. If there's any other commandment, and there are others, of course, they're all summed up up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law, or as it could be, the fulfilling of the law is love. To love others means doing the things that are expressed in God's laws because the laws of God define what love is. Paul goes on to admonish us, Romans 13, beginning with verse 11, Romans 13, verse 11, do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, and not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Being a Christian is more than just wearing a label or making an empty profession of faith that is lacking in discernment and spiritual understanding. God's way, the way Christ would have us walk, is a way of life. It's not a mere profession of faith, it is a way of life. To really know Christ means to have his mind. It means to have him, in fact, living in you through his spirit. It means through the power of the Holy Spirit living the way of love defined by the laws of God. Having that mind of Christ is what gives us cohesiveness if we're a part of God's church and real and permanent oneness. In fact, it can unite all of us, all of mankind if we all had the mind of Christ. Living discernment of Christ's body is seeing that we individually and collectively are Christ's body, that is, the church is, those who believe, those who are of genuine faith. It is seeing that we individually and collectively are Christ's body to the extent that we have his mind. And only by having Christ's mind, only by him dwelling in us, do we have eternal life. Soon Jesus Christ is going to return to this earth in blinding glory. And if you have living discernment of God, you'll rise to meet him and be with him and be like him forever.